Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's Word together live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Glad to have you all with us this morning. Good morning, Martin and Keith and uh, Tim Harvey and Bashar Yakub. I've been listening every day to the recorded podcast and kept hearing about this guy named Martin. <laughs> So you guys know each other. Very good. Very good. Yeah, Martin is trying to convert me to full-on post-millennialism, uh, sending me stuff. And uh, I got your messages. Uh, it's good stuff. And I'm largely there. There's still some things about the post-mill traditional view that uh, I'm hesitant about. We'll talk about that some other time. But interestingly, Martin, and for the rest of you, we'll, we'll get to our normal topic here in a moment. Um, but that passage in uh, Acts 3 that you mentioned, uh, I'm teaching through Acts in our Sunday fellowship, and I came to a very similar conclusion about that passage. Uh, the times are refreshing and all that. So it's, uh, well, well, we'll go back down that path sometime. But for now, we want to unpack the scripture and not, not come with our presuppositions about what we think the whole framework means, but... What does the text say? And so on. So that's what we're doing. We're working our way through Isaiah. And uh, we're going to find some interesting things here in Isaiah 15 and 16. And I want to start with Jesus' words after the resurrection. You remember that uh, he met with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he's pretty harsh with them. Remember, he calls them slow of heart. And... Uh, <laughs> Martin says I'm a closet post-millennialist. Yeah, I've been called that before. Anyway, uh, Jesus rebukes the uh, the disciples and, and he says, You should have known what the prophets said about the Messiah. Remember that? And, uh, and then he meets with the 12 and others later. And here's what he says in Luke 24. There we go. Uh, then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. So Jesus there is saying, the Old Testament, it's about me. Right? We we know that. But I think sometimes we tend to, to reduce that to the cross. And the cross is certainly there. Eventually we'll get to Isaiah 53 and it's there. Uh, in a big way in Isaiah 53. But look what he says here. And he opened their their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. That's a fascinating statement because it makes you wonder, does he mean he did a supernatural work so that they would now understand the Old Testament? You realize scriptures here has to be the Old Testament because they didn't have the New Testament yet, right? So as he's talking to these men just after the resurrection, the scriptures they had was the Old Testament and it says he opened their understanding. Is that a supernatural work or is it a little more mundane that now he taught them the true fulfillment meaning of the Old Testament or both? Could be both, right? He, that he, that he, they were they were blinded. They weren't able to see the full impact and meaning of the Old Testament. But now he gives them supernatural understanding to understand how the Old Testament spoke about him. Then he said to them, thus it is written, 
Thus, it was necessary for the Messiah, the Christ, to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Okay, we know that. That's what we know about Jesus, and we see that in the Old Testament. But look at this. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. The context... The, what Jesus is saying here is, all of this is in the Old Testament. Not only is death and resurrection, but that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in the name of the Messiah to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Jesus is saying, even that element, that the gospel, that the, the story, the message of the Messiah would be preached to all nations, it's in the Old Testament. Today, we're going to see one of the places where that occurs. Good morning, Grateful. Glad you could join us today. All right, so we're in Isaiah 15 and 16, and I'm going to go fairly quickly through this, maybe faster than we've been uh, in some of the passages more recently, because I want us to get the whole story, and some of the details are not as uh, important for what we're doing as seeing the big story all the way through. So let me, uh, let me read it to you, and I'll comment as we go. But first, need a cup of, I mean, a drink of delicious coffee. All right. Isaiah 15, the oracle concerning Moab. So we've had the oracle concerning Babylon. We've had the oracle concerning Philistia. And now Isaiah sees, he has this vision of what is going to happen to Moab. Okay. Now, Moab, if you know your Old Testament history, is uh, Moab is um, almost a cousin, if you will, of, of Judah and Jerusalem, right? There's some friendships, some relationships, some history through the Old Testament. So here's, here's what uh, Isaiah sees. And at first, it's a very sobering vision. Surely in a night... Ar of Moab is devastated and ruined. Surely in a night, Ker of Moab is devastated and ruined. So this is what Isaiah, Isaiah sees. And just one, one night, boom, Moab is destroyed. They've gone up to the temple and to Dibon, even to the high places to weep. Moab wails over Nebo and Medeba. Everyone's head is bald. Every beard is cut off. So those are uh, images of being conquered and the humiliation that a conquering nation would bring by shaving the head of men and cutting their beard. That was one of the things they did to, uh, you know, we're a, we're a beardless society in, in many ways, although in, in uh, the last few years, man beards have come back. Uh, it's not as big a deal for our culture at all, one way or the other, but in that culture, men didn't uh, cut their their beards as much, and uh, their hair was was uh, important, and this is how you humiliated them. In their streets, they have girded themselves with sackcloth. On their housetops and in their squares, everyone is wailing, dissolved in tears. Heshbon and Elia also cry out. Their voice is heard all the way to Jahaz. Therefore, the armed men of Moab cry aloud. His soul trembles within him. So... You've seen you've seen video of uh, of conquered nations, maybe even 
some of the uh, earlier video from uh, Ukraine as refugees flee, they, they leave their houses. And uh, there's one, one image I remember seeing of uh, just the streets lined with people holding as much as they could carry, you know, husbands and, and wives with their kids kind of corralling them and each of them have have bags of things and you can tell they've just left their homes and you know the area's been bombed and and they're walking off in in poverty and shame they, they lost everything and uh, uh, are fleeing the country right now it is different because some of them you know with, with money in a digital bank accounts. Some of them are fleeing to places. I talked to a friend in Moldova recently and they've had, I forget, 75, 100,000 uh, refugees f come from Ukraine to Moldova. And, uh, and some of them are wealthy and their wealth, they're actually able to ex access their wealth uh, because it's online. It's in banks there and they can transfer it and, and start a new life in Moldova. And actually most of them are wealthier than the natives in Moldova. Um, but you, you've all seen images of conquered peoples who their lives are just wrecked, they're devastated, they, they have nothing, and they're weeping and, and wailing as they go. So different from what I'm describing, the Ukrainians, right? Well, that's what Isaiah sees here. They went up on the high, high places where they would worship, and uh, they, they've lost all confidence in their gods, it seems. Certainly they, they believe the gods have turned against them. Hasn't, they haven't been spared from the Assyrians coming to destroy them. And, and Isaiah sees a glimpse of all this. Grateful says, got caught up last night. Fascinating. Good. Glad you're caught up and, and back with us. So then after this uh, image of... The, uh, the Moabites weeping and wailing in, in dust and ashes, we hear from the Lord, the Lord who is behind all this. He's going to acknowledge that here in a moment. The Lord is bringing this foreign nation to destroy Moab. But we get a glimpse of the heart of God. Look what he says here. My heart cries out for Moab. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. We see that elsewhere, right? My heart cries out for Moab. His fugitives are as far as Zoar and Egleth Shelishiah. For they go up the ascent of Luhith weeping. Surely on the road to Haranim, they raise a cry of distress over their ruin. So God sees these people dragging themselves along with nothing and his heart cries for them for the waters of nimrim are desolate surely the grass is withered the tender grass died out there is no green thing therefore the abundance which they have acquired and stored up they carry off over the brook of arabim for the cry of distress has gone around the territory of Moab. Its wail goes as far as Eglium, and its wailing even to Bear Elam. For the waters of Demon are full of blood. Surely I will bring added woes upon Diamond, a lion upon the fugitives of Moab and upon the remnant of the land. Moab had acquired wealth, built itself up into a prosperous nation, and now it's all gone. Think of America. 
building up wealth and prospering and then another nation coming and destroying all of our cities, killing mass amounts of us and the remnant to the, the, those who are left just pulling ourselves along, trying to find refuge somewhere. God did this to Moab, but he didn't do it dispassionately. I think sometimes we have a hard time reconciling these things in our mind, how, how God can be holy and full of wrath and vengeance and indignation, and at the same time, compassion, kindness, mercy. Uh, it's much like our Lord Jesus. We, we went over this in some other uh, settings. I can't remember, we may, maybe even uh, in this study, but as he pronounces the doom of Jerusalem, Right? He, he lets the Pharisees have it. You are hypocrites. You're offspring of snakes. And he pronounces judgment. Within a generation, your house will be left to you desolate. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy you completely. And read the works of Josephus sometime. And read his account of how awful it was. And at the same time, he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have protected you like a hen gathers chicks. You weren't willing. So you have both the, the, uh, the intensity of God's wrath and indignation, and you have his compassion, his, his mercy. Um, Strix Nebulosa, is that how you say that? Good morning. Glad you're with us. I'm not sure we've... Uh, greeted one another before. Uh, Martin says, how do you understand 1 Timothy 2, 4 to 6? All right, let me take a look at that real quick and see if that uh, is germane to this, or are you still trying to <laughs> get me onto um, post-millennials? Oh, no, I see. Okay. Uh, it says, this is, uh, this is a good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. There's one God and uh, mediator also between God and men who gave himself a ransom for all. Um, if I understand the uh, kind of the heart of why you're asking the question, I believe this is uh, all men in contrast to just the Jewish people. Um, he starts off this section, first of all, I urge entreaties and prayers, petitions, thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, kings, and all who are in authority. Um, it's really hard for us to, to grasp sometimes, but uh, remember the gospel started in Jerusalem and uh, for so many in the first century, the Jews, it, it, was, it was all about the Jewish people. And it was difficult for the Jews to understand, to believe, to accept that the gospel was always intended for the nations. It was never going to be restric restricted just to the Jews. And so I think here Paul is teaching Timothy, pray for kings, pray for peace so that the gospel can flourish. And God is saving all men, meaning all nations, not every individual man, that kind of thing. And that's exactly what we see here uh, in, uh, in Isaiah 14, 15, uh, 15 to 16, is this was always the plan to go outside of Jerusalem. Yeah, good question. All right, uh, so we see the vision of the devastation of Moab. We, we hear from God, his heart, as he's bringing this destruction. There's still a, a tenderness there. And now we get a, um, 
uh, we're, we're a fly on the wall in a, in a sort of a cabinet meeting of the Moabite leaders seeking refuge from the Jews. Uh, verse, chapter 16, verse 1, send the tribute land to the ruler, I'm sorry, send the tribute lamb to the ruler of the land. If you read, uh, I think it's 2 Kings, uh, we see um, uh, that this was when the Moabites were under the, the, the rule, that when they were a vassal of, uh, of Israel, they would send tribute to, uh, to the throne with uh, lots and lots of animals, lots of lambs. And, uh, and here they're saying, send it again. And, and now they're going to come with a request to the Jews. Send tribute lamb to the ruler of the land by, from Selah by the way of the wilderness to the mountain of the, da- of the daughter of Zion. See, so they're appealing to Zion for help. And the, the word then here, I don't know uh, if your translation has then, but that's not in the original and that's not helpful here. Uh, like fleeing birds or scattered nestlings, the daughters of Moab will be at the fords of the Arnon. So they're concerned about their daughters. Uh, young girls especially are almost always the, the most brutally treated uh, group when there's this kind of devastation and conquering. Uh, so they're seeking relief and, and they care about uh, their daughters and indeed all of their people. So they're seeking Zion for help. Send tribute, seek help. And here's the uh, request. Give us advice. They want Zion. They want the, the people of God to, to give them uh, advice, to make a decision for them. Cast your shadow like night at high noon. Hide the outcast. Do not betray the fugitive. So you see what they're doing. They, they're appealing for help. So send the, the tribute to Zion and ask them, we, give us a decision in our favor. Uh, advise us. Cast a shadow of us. Like protect us. Um, and, and let our outcasts, let our fugitives come to you. Right? Verse 4 here. Let the outcasts of Moab stay with you. Be a hiding place to them from the destroyer. So that's the request. That's the, they're appealing to Zion. Interestingly, uh, the, the response to that appeal is not what you might expect. For the extortioner has come to an end. So you notice here, the NAS, I think, gets this right. You see there's quotation marks here. The, uh, the first part of verse 4, let the outcasts of Moab stay with you. Be a hiding place to them from your destroyer. That's in quotation marks. I think that is the, the quote, that's the appeal from Moab to Zion. And then notice the, the uh, exclamation points end. And now we have this, this response, this statement, which is different. For the extortioner has come to an end. Destruction has ceased. Oppressors have completely disappeared from the land. A throne will even be established in loving kindness, and a judge will sit on it in faithfulness in the tent of David. Moreover, he will seek justice and be prompt in righteousness. Isn't that interesting? So we have this near-term event happening for Moab. Judgment is coming. God's wrath is coming. He's sending a foreign nation on Moab. They are appealing to Zion for help. 
And now vision, uh, Isaiah sees this vision of the oppression ending and the Messiah coming, the judge coming to sit on the throne of David. This one who will seek justice and be prompt in righteousness. So what I think is going on is Moab asks for help from Zion. The word comes back to Moab. There is hope for you. You can find refuge. You can, you can find security. You have to believe in the coming king of Judah who will eventually take the throne of David and reign and rule. Do you see that? The, the, the good news of the Messiah, the message of the coming one, is here sent to Moab. Assyria is coming down upon you. You want relief. You want hope. You want refuge. Believe in the coming son of David who's going to sit on the throne. Fascinating. I find it fascinating. Did they believe? No. We have heard of the pride of Moab and excessive pride. Pride's always the downfall. Folks, is there a better word to describe the government of the United States of America right now than arrogant, prideful, our brother I know is on uh, joining us today from the UK. Is there a better word to describe your government there in the UK than prideful, arrogant? In fact, <laughs> let's just go around the globe, shall we? What nation is there on earth right now that is bowing its knee to the one true God who, who is worshiping the Lord Jesus, who's giving glory to the Lord Jesus. Now, there are, there are individuals, uh, even here in the U.S., uh, I, I hear it more and more, which is actually hopeful. It's good news that there are uh, more and more of our uh, representatives that, uh, that at least are saying things like one nation under God and, and declaring some, uh, some allegiance to God. And may the Lord bring more of that, right? But as a whole, our nation and most others, uh, full of pride and arrogance. And that's the downfall of a nation. And that's the downfall of, of Moab. They've been offered security and hope. And instead, they're full of excessive pride, arrogance, pride, fury. But his idle boasts of are of, of no account. They're, they're of nothing. They're false. Therefore, Moab will wail. Everyone of Moab will wail. You will moan for the raisin cakes of Kirharaseth as those who are utterly stricken. For the fields of Heshbon have withered, the vines of Sibma as well. The lords of the nations have trampled down its choice clusters, which reached as far as Jazer and wandered to the deserts. Its tendrils spread themselves out and passed over the sea. 
Therefore, I will weep bitterly for Jazer, for the vine of Sibma. I will drench you with my tears, O Heshbon and Elilah, for the shouting over your summer fruits and your harvest has fallen. Gladness and joy are taken away from the fruitful field. In the vineyards also there will be no cries of joy or jubilant shouting. No treader treads out wine in the presses, for I have made the shouting to cease. Therefore my heart intones like a harp for Moab, and my inward feelings for Kir Hereseth. So it will come about when Moab presents himself, when he wearies himself upon his high place, that's his worship of false gods, and comes to his sanctuary to pray that he will not prevail. This is the word concerning which the Lord spoke earlier concerning Moab. But now the Lord speaks, saying, Within three years, as a hired, hand, a hired man would count them, the glory of Moab will be degraded along with all his great population, and his remnant will be very small and impotent. You see what God did there? He sent a message to Moab saying, There is hope for you if you will trust in me and in my coming king. And Moab, Moab rejected it. And God says, then within three years, I'm going to completely wipe them out. Fascinating. Fascinating. The, the, the message of Jesus was proclaimed centuries before his birth in Bethlehem to the nations. And I think that's the kind of thing that Jesus was getting at when he said, to his disciples, don't you understand? This is what the scriptures meant. The gospel has to go forth, the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, it's not just the gospel of the cross, but it's also the crown. The gospel of the good news of the kingdom was proclaimed to the nations, and it would be proclaimed to the nations, and that's why we take the gospel to the nations. All right, I see a couple of follow-ups here. Martin says, so you're saying a progressive overtime of John 12, 32 being his elect, Acts 13. I'm sorry, John 12, 32 says, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Yep, I think that's, uh, that's exactly uh, what, it, uh, what the New Testament teaches. Uh, I'm enjoying the NASB, NASB 77 reading. Yeah, good. So what do we learn from this? Well, um, yeah, Bashir says God is both terrifying and magnificent at the same time. And indeed, right? Paul says that in, in Romans 11. Behold then the mercy and the severity of God. Absolutely. And, and America, UK, all around the world, we, we, nations need to take note of this. Jesus is the king of kings. That is a political statement. <laughs> Martin's going to say, see, <laughs> you are a closet post-millennials. He's the king of kings and all nations are going to stand before him. All kings are going to stand before him. And all nations need to be called to repentance. Bow the knee now. And what would happen if they do? What would happen if they do? 
and this is where my optimism, my optimal, as I, as I call it, comes out. I can see it. I know not all of you can see it, and that's okay. You know, let's keep working through this together. But imagine what would happen. Imagine what would happen. And I'll, I'll close it up with this. I know our time is fleeting. But what if, just what if, we as Christian parents really poured into our children and raised up a generation of boys and girls who grew up to men and women who really love the Lord, who really know the Lord, who are faithful to the Lord. And to do that, we probably have to get them out of government schools entirely, but we'll save that discussion for some other time. And they not only raised up their children the same, but they really began to get involved in our communities and in politics so that our lawmakers at every level, local, state, federal, were people who were concerned with the majesty of Christ. And so the laws that they passed were honoring to the Lord Jesus. If what I'm describing were to take place, that means the Spirit of God is bearing fruit. He is creating a people filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. If those kinds of people were making our laws and those kinds of people were following our laws, oh, can you imagine? We know this is going to happen one way or the other. <laughs> Either this is the the next age, right? Or it's this age. We're to pray, Lord, kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Martin says, so is Matthew 24, 14 still future progressive over the church age? I don't think so. And uh, I'm going to say this and then not follow it up because we're running out of time. I think Matthew 24, 14 is talking about the first century because it's still in that period of uh, this generation upon which all these things will come. And uh, if you look at Colossians 1, Paul said the gospel had uh, been preached through the whole to the whole known world at the time. So I think Matthew 24, 14 is talking about uh, the first century. All right, I'm going to address Lon's statement, and then I'm going to go. Lon says, you are surrounded by Christians more than most, so I think you unduly influenced by in your optimism. Maybe so, but Lon, you know better than most of the people on here. You know what I've been through. And you know that the people you're talking about, the Christians you're talking about, are not the kind that would instill a lot of hope and optimism in me. So just keep that in mind as you filter what I say. Uh, I, hear your, I hear your point, um, but I assure you, I am not basing my optimism on my experience or on my observation. Uh, both my experience with fellow Christians, or at least proclaiming Christians, and my observation of what's going on in the world doesn't leave much room for optimism at the moment. I'm simply trying to get at what does the scripture teach. And uh, so I may be wrong, but I assure you my optimism is not based on experience or observation. Certainly not my experience with the, uh, 
the church. So, all right, with that, folks, have a blessed, wonderful weekend. Uh, and we will, Lord willing, be back here on Monday to continue working through this book of Isaiah. Take care.